1: The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not
2: necessarily reflect those of webmasterradio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly.
0: Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly from sunny Southern California here in um, Silicon Beach in Santa Monica, California. um we have a great show for you today. You know one of the things about the internet is that it gives a voice to to um people and stories that are often ignored in the mainstream media and elsewhere and so when I heard that um the London Olympics was not going to recognize Uh, the 40th anniversary of the Munich Games um, and the tragedy that occurred there, I decided, well, that's something the Internet can do. And so I, uh, I, thanks to um, Bob Bodell, um, I was able to get in touch with Tom McMillan, um, who is one of the greatest players in ACC history, played 11 seasons in the National Basketball Association, a Rhodes Scholar and the tallest member of Congress ever, um, but more importantly, he was a member of the 1972 Olympic team. And Tom, are you with us?
3: Yes, I am. Good to be on.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you coming on to help us kind of commemorate um, Munich 40 years later. But very briefly, I want to start off. You were the tallest member of Congress, and you also served what I believe the shortest member of Congress um, in your delegation was Barbara Mikulski, was it? Was she not?
3: Well, that's correct. I I always wondered whether that the shortest was correct because you go way back uh, in history there's probably
0: there had to be a few gnomes that
3: were maybe shorter than 411 but uh there there haven't been any taller than 611 we know that. So
0: now I you know I always recall pictures of of LBJ in the Senate, you know, this using his height, leaning into people um, you know, you're in the house, which is a different body. Was your height an advantage there, or you were you still just a junior member?
3: I don't think it really matters in, in, too much in uh, po- politics. I mean, it's good, in, in you know, when you go out to an event, people know you're there. They also know you're not there. So it's, oh. it's double-edged, but I think, uh, you know, it's... Uh, I don't think it was a detriment, anyway.
0: Well, definitely not. Um, so let's talk a little bit. Let's do the lead up to how you got to be an Olympian, and you were uh, the number one high school player in America, and recruited heavily, recruited by uh, Lefty Drizel, Dean Smith. Uh, what made you choose Maryland?
3: It's a it's a long story. I, you know, my
0: father was
3: in the early stages of an illness that so eventually. Uh, cause, and it would be fatal in my senior year, but he wanted to see me play, and it was a lot closer for me to to, to him to see me play at Maryland than, you know, North Carolina or, or another school. I was also had been appointed by President Nixon as really one of the youngest presidential appointees ever to the President's Council on Fitness and Sports, and so I, that was an opportunity to be near the, the Capitol, plus Maryland really had... Hadn't really had a program. Uh, my brother had played there, but they had really not developed an exceptional program. So it was a chance to really to make something, as opposed to perpetuate something.
0: Right, and and you did. I mean, in your three years, and you know, as, as a varsity player, you uh, you were ranked in the top five each year. Um, but unfortunately, because of the. the of the NCAA rules at that time, only the conference champion got to go to the NCAA which meant that despite having a 73-17 and 17 record over those three years, you only got to go to the NCAA once. Well, and, and as a result,
3: you know, of, of that inequity, they changed the rules after our uh, senior year. Um, we had played North Carolina State to a triple overtime game in North Carolina in the ACC Finals. North Carolina, and then of course, state went on to win the, the national championship. So it was really the the impetus of that game that caused the NCAA to to widen, you know, the uh, and expand the, the number of teams in the tournament.
0: And actually, the very next year they did. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's for right. You. Yeah. But um, so getting to other inequities, though, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the games in Munich. So. You had been an an all-American and were invited to be part of the the seventy-two Olympic team. And what's interesting in looking into this, everyone is familiar with the fact that you know what happened in Munich was uh, the first loss for U.S. basketball team in the Olympics. But I wasn't aware that we had actually we'd failed to get a medal in the Pan American Games the year the year before, and so you have this team coming off that, um, but it was different players, of course. And so, um, but there was a lot of controversy over who was part of the team, both in terms of the coaching and the players. And, um, you know, for example, why wasn't Wooden um, asked or why wasn't Bill Walton part of the team? And uh, what are your recollections about that?
3: Well, as far as the coach goes, um, you know, that was pretty much an internal uh, Olympic uh, committee issue issue. you know, Wooden would have been a great coach, and as you know, Dean Smith coached uh, the next time around. Uh, Hank Ivan had been around a long time; he was a known figure, and he had had a uh, you know an exceptional record. But it was true that I think his style of play wasn't was more more traditional than the players that we had on the team. Uh, so I think that uh, a faster style of play may, may have been more more uh i think in line with the talent we had um and uh the players you know, bill walton didn't play he obviously was a great college player he would have been a tremendous help in that game uh or in the whole olympics quite frankly but you know for some reason he decided not to play
0: yeah i think what he asked if because his doctors said that uh yeah, they were they, they were concerned about him um, doing going through the the tryout process. He said he would do it if he didn't have to do tryouts, and, and the coach said no. Um, and no, so, and, I,
3: and you know the tryout was pretty rigorous. Uh, I mean, we were doing two a day workouts in Hawaii, and it was just very very exhausting. And uh, you know, without air conditioning and in the hot of the summer, it was, uh, it was pretty stifling.
0: And I think I, I saw watched some of the clips, and I I, I think it was. Mike who said that, you know, we, we saw that we were going to Honolulu and we thought this is great. We're going to be by the beach and everything's going to be wonderful. We didn't know that we had just joined the Navy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's true. It was pretty rough. I mean, it was Pearl Harbor and we were
0: rebel, right? barracks
3: yeah. and we were just, we were, uh, I mean, it wasn't, it was pretty, uh, pretty re- rigorous camp.
0: So, um. Obviously, you made the team, and a number of other, you know, famous players uh, who are now well known. You know, Phil Collins um, uh, made the team, and so then you, you get to Munich, and you enter the Olympic Stadium. What was that like to, to be walk to be a member of the Olympic team and walk into um, the, the stadium?
3: I think that's probably one of the most memorable experiences because when you walk into the olympic stadium you're you know you're wearing usa and you know the crowds are cheering munich's a great town uh it was a great place for the olympics and uh that's sort of the penultimate moment for an athlete to to be in the opening ceremony so there's a high point to that but you know quickly it fades away and you start we had to practice diligently and uh we had to train, and your focus gets more on that in the upcoming games. Although, in the beginning, they weren't very challenging. But we had to nevertheless worry about getting ready, which really the distractions of the Olympics couldn't really be be part of.
0: And you know, you're obviously you're in a village. What what type of what's the interaction like with the players? The you know,
3: there was some interaction. It's interesting, though, as I said. You get to know a few of the other players, and you talk to them. It's you know, it's a big village. You go to the common dining area, and but you know, there's always like these things. You you, you you're only there for a couple of weeks. So you don't have time to make a lot of friends. You, you meet people, but you're more or less sticking to your team because that's the that's sort of the inculcation, the process that you're going through, which is you've got to be very very focused, very dedicated. And as a result, you don't you don't get a lot of the external experiences of uh, the Olympics, as Michael Phelps said. You know, he goes to these towns, and he only sees the swimming pool. I mean, there's a lot of truth to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. He, uh, he looks down, too. He doesn't look up, for the most part. And, uh, yeah, I think the bottom of the swimming pool is the same everywhere. Um, now, you um, talking about being focused. Uh, in the initial rounds of uh, play, um, you guys beat. Japan by 66 points, Egypt by 65 points. Have you ever had a victory that lopsided before?
3: No, in high school and probably in college when I was a freshman. We had some pretty big victories, but uh, it, uh, you know, that's sort of a false confidence because while those teams were still struggling to get their programs off the ground, we knew that there were some real talented teams that we were going to meet. So... You still had to take it very seriously, even though the, the couple of games were very easy.
0: No, and then um, then things did get very serious on um, September fifth. the The Israeli athletes were were taken hostage, and you, where were you when you heard about that?
3: We woke up that morning and we heard the commotion. You could see it on TV. ABC was live uh, in our village not you, know, you could actually watch the telecast or walk over and see the the, the part of the compound where the terrorists were uh, were Dended. positioned with it yeah i mean we all did i i don't even think we practiced that day i think i think that every i think the whole olympic village was in a state of suspended and suspended suspension because no one knew what was going to happen
0: and um and so while that's happening everything's in suspension and then of course it unfolds and who can forget you know jim mckay and um they're all gone um you know I, is, is that how you learned that they were they were killed through jim mckay or it's it just the buzz i look- think
3: so because you know we saw the helicopters leave the village you could see the lights but uh I don't think. I, I think obviously we we heard rumors. You know, the the, the the word went around very quickly, but then of course it was confirmed on television.
0: And we um, when when the then when they were first taken, you know, did the U.S. Olympic Committee get you know, brief you or say anything, or did there was just so much confusion that there was nothing they could do.
3: You really got your messages through your team, through your managers, and so forth. So, we knew that there was going to be a memorial, but we didn't know what was going to happen to the Olympics, and there was discussion of even canceling them so um, what, and what did you think, know, even though many of us felt that was a such a tragic attack on the village that many of us felt maybe they should cancel it, but I certainly felt that way, but in retrospect, I think that would have been a mistake because
0: they would have won if we've
3: learned one thing in terrorism, it's not to. It's not let the terrorists, you know, change your world, Uh, and uh, so I think it was important that they didn't cancel the Olympics.
0: Was was it hard to grasp that something like that could happen? That, you know, an, an event designed to present, you know, promote world brotherhood and.
3: Well, that was the surreal nature of it. Is that you have that thing, this terrible attack going on in the village, which is so foreign to a platform built for sport and. Uh, here we are, young, pretty young kids, young young ad- adults coming over there, and and here we're th- thinking the Olympics are this great panacea, you know, brotherhood, brotherhood, and sport, and all that. And then to see it was really ended up being so tragic I an mean, outcome was it was a very sobering experience.
0: And um, now, forty years later and I guess every this will come up every five five Olympics. you know you're going to have a, a, a round number um you know, it's going to be 20 40 60 and so we now have the 40th anniversary of the of the tragedy what what do you think would have been appropriate for the Olympic Committee to do um this time
3: I think they should have had a moment of silence during the opening ceremony I think that would have been a very appropriate for lots of reasons. One is to to pay homage to those athletes, but to also to pay homage to to, to pay homage to uh, to a world that's had to suffer through many t- other terrorist attacks. Sure. This thing has been a plague on the world, and that uh, it was appropriate to take a, a time out and just uh, and just remember. Um, and I'm surprised they did not do that. I would have been wholeheartedly in support of it.
0: It is disappointing. Um, so we're going to take a short break. Um, but when we come back, we're going to be Tom's going to stay with us, and we're going to talk about the gold medal game, um, the controversial last three seconds, and um, and and more after these messages from Webmaster Radio.
2: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Rise links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world Majestic SEO. Majestic SEO wields its virtual sort with speed and accuracy to deliver detailed reports of your company's link data and that of your competition. Let Majestic SEO make you your own king of internet marketers and join the crusade of clients and agencies that have chosen the noble choice for link intelligence, MajesticSEO.com. Maximize ROI to use your time and let Majestic wield its mighty sword. MajesticSEO.com. It's good to be king. MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOtool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOtool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try MySEOtool risk-free today. Go to MySEOtool.com. MySEOtool.com. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn, optimize, connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Welcome to Domain Masters, the longest-running podcast where we teach you to be the master of your domain. Master of your domain. We discuss domains from many different perspectives, including the legal rights of owners and trademark holders, domain values, and monetization strategies. We show you how to utilize domains to drive traffic to your business so you can gain favorable search engine rankings. We discuss power tools of the trade with the power players of the industry every week right here on Domain Masters. Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Blog, blog, blog. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're the talk of the town. WebmasterRadio.fm. Thanks for listening.
1: WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere.
2: The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
0: And we're back. This is Ben Achille. You're listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report. And our special guest is former Congressman and Olympian Tom McMillan, who was a member of the 1972 U.S. basketball team. And uh, which participated in what is still to this day the most controversial game in Olympic history. And um, Tom, it, it seemed that it all comes down to um, the final minutes. Um, the U.S. was down by eight with about five minutes to play. And as you were talking earlier, that the slow style of play was really seemed to be holding you guys back. And I've seen clips that where the players have said that they decided to take over and play their way. Is, it, is that what happened?
3: Well, I think that's right. I mean, the players started running more, and obviously we had to uh, up tempo the game because we were behind, and we had to do something differently. And so uh, we were able to, you know, narrow that lead and uh, and uh, and really go ahead. So, but I think it was the acceleration of the game that made a difference.
0: And and the thing to keep in mind is this: apparently, this was the youngest team in U.S. team in Olympic history, and you're playing against a a veteran Soviet team that played what hundreds of games together. Um, So you're definitely playing. It it, is definitely a difference in the um, the experience level. But as you guys took charge, could could you see a reaction in the Soviets? Was there a sense of fear that um, you know they were going to lose this game?
3: Well, I mean, always that's the case. I mean, but remember, we're coming from behind, so uh, they were just, oftentimes, you know, it's the team's the head has to hold a lead, and it's very difficult to do that. You start to sort of freeze up, if you will, and I think the Soviets became less assertive, and we became more assertive, so I mean, that's, that's often the, the, the ebb and flow of a basketball game, and uh, I think our young athleticism, started to to kick in, and I think that made the difference.
0: Now, the, uh, um, the young athleticism definitely kicked in with uh, uh, you blocked a, a shot that led to a fast break, and um, Doug Collins, who I accidentally call Phil Collins, although I'm sure Doug would be a great drummer too. Um, <laughs> Doug, Doug Collins does a, a layup, um, goes for a layup, and it's like, plowed into the uh, the stand for the basket and it looked like he was pretty badly hurt. Um, did you think he was going to be able to get up and make the foul shots? I
3: did. I mean, pretty tough kid. He, uh, he took a, a bang, but most guys get up and, and want to shoot those free throws. He's not going to do what he did and sit down, so uh, I was pretty sure he'd shoot them. And, and He's an athlete and this is, this is the world stage it doesn't get any better than that
0: and he, yeah, you grow up playing for this moment and you know, it was well
3: it's probably two of the most pressured free throws in the history of basketball I mean the fact is he's got two free throws if he makes if he misses them we lose if he makes one we're tied and if he if he scores both we we win effectively if, if,
0: not just win a gold medal; you won a game against the Soviet Union during, you know, probably the, the height of the Cold War.
3: Well, there's a lot at stake. As I said, they were extremely pressure pressurized free throws.
0: Well, was the streak was that a burden? Were you cognizant of that? Um, you know, the fact that U.S. had never lost, or just you know, you just played each game, didn't think about it
3: we were very cognizant of that because there was a lot of pressure on us like we've won 65 games, 7 gold medals and obviously we didn't want to be the team to carry back a, a loss so there was a lot of pressure on us we were very aware of
0: it so um, Doug Collins shoots the 2-3 throws US is now up um, by one point and Soviets start to inbound the ball clock starts down to 2 one, and then everything stops. What happened? Right.
3: They, the officials basically realized that they uh, that, well, what happened was the there was a timeout that was attempted to be called by the Soviets, but uh, somehow the clock didn't work or the timeout was tried or attempted to be called after the shot was taken, in which case the timeout shouldn't have occurred, but they uh they played the last play it, it, nothing happened but the official came down and said look we got to reset this clock uh and that was the official from FIBA who outside of his authority decided that you know we're going to we're going to reset the clock and that that started uh, that set this whole resetting of clock in in, 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 in motion
0: and so um and now they 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 inbound it again and um the, the three seconds The clock out. was
3: misset. I think they took it set it to like fifty seconds or something like that. So this they the play failed again, but the clock was poorly set. It was another error.
0: But uh, in any case... event it was more than three seconds that passed and um and that's where the, the iconic photos of, of you and um uh, was the Henderson hugging and Right, um, right. You're very prominent in those pictures, I guess, because if I was a photographer, I would focus on you because you were the tallest man on court. And, uh, and so it, it, basically the celebration ensued. You, you, you must have been ecstatic. Yeah. Well, it was,
3: a, it was probably one of the highest moments and lowest moments in a very brief but, period of time in my life. But uh, yeah, we thought we'd won it. Uh, clearly, uh, there was pandemonium on the court. Um, we thought we'd come, come from behind and won the
0: game. Uh to this day as a kid I was you know I was watching this this is the first Olympics I remember I ran around the house yelling we won we won we won I was that excited it was such an exciting game and so I can only, I can only imagine what it was like for the players um, and then so you've won and you you're you trying to leave the court or you know something's up There's
3: a lot of milling around uh the coaches are over the scorer's table there's you know very hard to understand because the, coach, you know, the referees didn't speak English, uh, or at least one of the referees didn't speak English, and uh, it's just total chaos, and we finally re- realized that they're, they're going to play the last play one more time, so they cleared the floor, and here we go for the third time.
0: And now you are... You're selected to guard the inbound pass, which, you know, you obviously the tallest man on the court of uh, make it difficult to throw the length of the court. And um, the referee. Damn. by, everybody. We're going to just go to a quick commercial break while we get this squared away.
2: We'll be right back. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. How much time do you spend on SEO research and competitor analysis? What if we told you that there was an easier, faster way? Search Metrics
0: SEO software propels you to top positions on search engines around the world with our unique global search, social, and competitive data in over 60 countries.
2: Gain a competitive advantage today Webmasterradio.fm. Welcome to the place your competitors get their edge. Jump on it. We're here for you 24-7. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on Webmasterradio.fm.
0: And we're back. Yeah, I guess it's only fitting we had some technical confusion ever as we're talking about the confusion that happened in the finals, in uh, the Olympic basketball final in 1972. Now, uh, Tom, we were just talking about um, the, the, the third attempt at the last play of the game, and uh, you, were, um, you were guarding the inbound pass and you were told to back off. Is there any reason why that that you, be, you should be required to do so under, under international rules?
3: No, there isn't. But the last thing I wanted to do was have an official called techno- technical on me. I think the official was from Bulgaria, so he didn't speak English. You could see him motioning to my feet, so it's not like I'm making this up. Uh, you know, I was just afraid they'd call technical on I me. Mean, even though the player had more than enough room to back up, uh, you just, you know, that's something I just wasn't going to take a risk at that point. I mean, probably in retrospect, uh, how, how, how do you know what he's what he's motioning for? Don't. I mean, yeah. you just, you And, don't. and, and, yeah, and, and problem, your coaches you know?
0: have warned you that basically you know, the, the referees are not going to be on our side.
3: Right. And so that's, uh, they were looking for a way to get this game over with. And so I just didn't want to be the, uh, the culprit here, but it was, a, uh, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, if you give a team enough time to score, they're going to score. I mean, that's the bottom line.
0: You get to the locker room and you're told, I guess there's, there's going to be a silver medal ceremony. And did you guys vote then? Or did you talk the next morning, that morning or
3: we discussed it then? And, uh, I think there was a mood not to accept it. We did talk about it again the next morning too, but I think the players were pretty certain, even after the game, that they were not going to accept the medal. Uh, so it was there was a it was a it was a unanimous uh, position.
0: And and 40 years later, still unanimous, is it not? That's right. No one has decided that they want to take the medal. And so the silver medal is somewhere. I saw an embassy report where they are not even quite sure where it is. They went to some Olympian officials' basement or something. But um, you had a proposal that you recently published an op-ed, and uh, um, that you think with the Soviet Union—excuse me—the the Olympic Committee should issue. Um, gold medals to, you know, to the U S team as well, just as it had done a few years back in the the winter Olympics for those, you know, the the peer skaters who were um, deprived of a gold because of a, a bias of one referee. And, um, you tell us about that proposal. Well,
3: 10 years ago, I tried to appeal to the international Olympic committee to give us the dual gold medal for the reasons you suggested, but you know, it fell on deaf ears. We, uh, more recently I wrote an op ed saying, you know, maybe there's a, a grand compromise. Give us the dual gold medal to our to the US team and then we'll donate that to a, a Russian children's charity along with, you know, millions of dollars of corporate contributions and we can uh you know really do something very positive and, and get the Russian players to go along with that. Obviously we give up something in the sense that we don't have the medals, but yet we're honored with the gold, and the Soviet, Russian players would have to give Miss Wallace some pride, really, to help their fellow countrymen. So it was an idea that to try to bring an end to this whole thing. Uh, this really this Cold War uh, episode.
0: It, yeah, it is, and the myth really is the height of. Cold War sports. I mean, I, I can't think of a, a, a sporting event. You know, granted, there were always you know, talks about East German you know, judges in, this, in skating and elsewhere, but no no sporting event during the Cold War was as marred by the politics of it as this one. And So what was the reaction? In the middle of
3: the Cold War, I mean, there were a lot of geopolitical aspects to it. The SALT Treaty had been signed. Uh, Nixon was making overtures to to the soviets but he was also making overtures to the china chinese he had gone to china earlier that year so there was there was a lot of chess chess playing at the world level and quite frankly our game was really just a proxy war uh we could have we could have as i said nixon and brezhnev just could have had an arm wrestling match i mean the fact that the, the basketball game we were we were in a proxy war. It really, didn't dawn on us until years later. Really, it's we just thought this was a sports event that you know got out of control. But it really well, was. Know. It really yeah, was a Cold War yeah. episode because we went to we went to appeal the next day, and the vote was three to two. The three nations that voted uh, against us were all Eastern Bloc nations. Right.
0: And and wasn't there one of the referees refused to sign the scorecard in protest? Right,
3: I think it was the Puerto Rican referee. He was from the, yes, that's correct.
0: And um, and so have have you got any response from the Soviets? Excuse me, no, no, no longer such a thing, but the, the Russians or the Olympic Committee to, you know, to your, your latest op
3: No, I don't, you know, obviously with the Olympics going on there, they've got other concerns. We have a reunion of our team in a couple of weeks, and, We'll have a In chance August. to talk about it. Yeah. We'll have September. a chance to
0: talk about it then. And how often did you guys have reunions?
3: Ah, uh, this is really our first one.
0: First one, and um, but be, it would be, I think, a very appropriate gesture. I mean, clearly uh, the, the the game was marred, and um, you, know, you can make an argument for both teams winning. So why not give both teams the gold?
3: Well, we would hope so, and and uh, but. I'm not sure the ILC would move on that. That's why I proposed something as, as I did recently. Right.
0: And when, how, how vivid is this game to you? You know, 40 years later, is this something that has ever faded in your memory or it's always been right there?
3: One of those things It's like groundhog day. It comes back every 10 years. People bring it up, you know, on the anniversaries and, you know, when there are Olympics match Olympic games. So it's, that's something I think about every day, but it does come back, you know, on its anniversaries.
0: It's like that skier on the wire the of sports opening.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Actually, I went to law school with Freddie Brown, and, uh, you know, I always felt bad for him every spring when they would, you know, show the pass that he made. And, you know, he said he's over it, but I'm sure it, it definitely isn't something he likes to see. Well, I'm it's left, and so I want um, give you an opportunity to tell us some some of the things you're doing now, um, and that uh, you'd like us to know about.
3: Well, I'm chairman of a, a national foundation on fitness, sports, and nutrition, which is a congressionally chartered foundation. We're helping support the president's council on fitness, sports, and nutrition, the first Ladies initiatives in those area. Um, you know, I'm CEO, chairman of a of a company that is. Uh, We do mortgage services all over the country, uh, including appraisals, title and settlement, and uh, asset dispositions. And uh, I'm on the board of the Regency University of Maryland working on that. Uh, In that capacity, we are trying to do something for my old coach, Lefty Herzell, and honor him next year. Um, So uh, all in all, staying pretty busy.
0: And what is it that you're trying to do for Lefty?
3: well we'd like to do some kind of uh, memorial either a statute or a head bust or something we haven't determined that we're still working through that but uh something that would uh you know honor his 17 years at the university
0: now the the closest lefty came to i guess the final four would have been the the regional final game in 73 you guys had against providence and um you know, actually, I'm, I grew up in Providence, and so I remember that game quite well. And I just having played against that team and having played against Bill Walton, you know, at the start of the next season. If you know, Providence actually was was blowing out Memphis State in the the, the regional semi, in, in, excuse me, in the semifinal game. Um, and then Marvin Barnes gets injured, and ultimately they they lose, and Memphis State gets blown out by UCLA. And everyone in Providence always wonders, you know, could. Could Providence have beaten Bill Walton and UCLA that year? And I'm just wondering, having played against both, if you have an opinion.
3: Well, no, I, I would say UCLA was a great team, but that Providence team was terrific too. And uh, it's hard to predict you know, who would win that. But uh, uh, I, would, uh, I wouldn't have counted out Providence. They had a terrific team.
0: Well, you can tell you, he's a skilled politician. A very good response, Congressman. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to thank you very much for having you on the show. I really appreciate it. And you know, this is an important thing to remember. Both, you of know, the contribution you guys you you guys made as athletes, and and the wrong that still has not been corrected, and also, you know, the tragedy that happened 40 years ago, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I thank you for participating. I apologize for the glitches, but in some ways, it's fitting. It happened that way. Um, but thank you again, Tom. Really yeah,
3: thank you. It. Look forward to to meeting sometime, and uh, good luck with the show.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that was Tom McMillan, and uh, he's he actually is he's very well respected in in Maryland and uh, Washington. You know, he's um, his work. Even since leaving office, and he's done a lot in the area of Homeland Security. Um, he's been very loyal to the Maryland community and was um, a big backer of theirs and a lot of their games. So um, I think, you know, Lefty Drizel convincing um, Tom McMillan to come to Maryland um, was definitely has paid off in handsomely for that school. Um, he's done a great job for them and um, all these years later. Um, But so we have um, we have a a few minutes left, and I thought we'd talk about um, some of the things that are going on that we might talk about in uh, future shows. And one thing that we'd like to talk about in a future show involves uh, an initiative by uh, the California Attorney General, and she's actually been very aggressive. In internet issues and 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 um, you know asserting herself as a regulator, which she's you know, which she's entitled to do, and um, but what she's um, done is sent a signal to um, I think the the entire industry uh, that um, privacy needs to be taken seriously. Um, she has created a privacy enforcement and protection unit, and um, it's part of her newly created e-crime unit and it's going to focus on um privacy issues and you know right now they actually have a special assistant attorney general for technology and she's brought in um also a um director of privacy education and policy um and it's a woman named Joan McNabb who has been been with the California government for many years and has been their leading voice on privacy and so she's brought in some skilled people and people who are well known um for their role in privacy and you know california has been um somewhat of a um trailblazer in the area of privacy and I, so i think this um announcement and bringing them in um signals to I think the, the nation that california is going to be enforcing its privacy laws and it's going to be holding in setting a standard and and so i think what we need to look for there is uh we where it is that they're going to emphasize and so we hope to have someone on from the office you know, who can give us some guidance and and see what it is they're going to focus on but clearly you have an, an activist um attorney general who, who wants to make a statement and get things done on the internet and you know she's already done a number of things you know such as she had a, a settlement with uh Um, mobile apps providers to agree to provide um, privacy statements with their apps. And so she's definitely um, been active and so it would be interesting to see and get some insight as to where it is that they're focusing on. So that's something um, part of the news that we're going to be talking about. Another big thing is that you may recall uh, last year we had a show, we talked about Chattanooga um, as the fastest city in the internet in the US and they have a they've launched a uh, a broadband network that has speeds of up to 1 gig and as part of that it's just a major investment and we talked about you know, basically the dividends it was, it was playing. We had Jed Marston from the Chattanooga Area Chamber of Commerce, and he more or less said that the city was getting a very positive response, and they, it continues to get a very positive response, and it, it's, it's attracting business as a result. Well, at the time, you know, Google was in the process of selecting their first city for, um, to launch their Google Fiber their high um their high speed internet product and uh, if you may recall it was quite a competition to get it um Wichita Kansas was really hoping to get it and even um it- Passed the resolution, officially changing, changing the name to Google for <laughs> a day. Uh, a day just to brown nose and see if they could get it. Um, well, the uh, the city formerly known as Wichita did not get it, in fact, but it did go to Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, it, has, it has been rolled out this summer. And um, Google and Kansas City have been very aggressive in and trying to promote it, and um, so Kansas City may soon become the place that's the fastest city in the internet in the u.s and so we hope to kind of revisit that issue um what has it meant for chattanooga how is the, how is the kansas city rollout happening and and what does that mean and what does investment in broadband produce so um those are things that would definitely i uh, wanted to hear and learn more about and um it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Uh, another issue that we're really uh, hoping to address is, um, and it's it's not entirely a hundred percent internet, um, but it it rolls over into the internet and it involves um, in California as well as um, in Washington. There are some events that are um, all kind of involve the web the website Backpage, and it's a website owned by Village Voice Media. And their back pages—it's very much like Craigslist. And um, but unlike, excuse me, but unlike Craigslist, it still offers um, adult-oriented ads where escorts and others can offer their services. And uh, and so it's become a target for those who um, believe that this is really encouraging. Um, child prostitution and sex trafficking. And it's come up in two contexts. The first is in California where you have um, um, Chris Kelly, who used to be the chief privacy officer at Facebook and was an attorney general candidate um, last election. He's, um, he's leading up a, an initiative, which is now on the ballot, Proposition 35, um, to um, strengthen penalties against sex trafficking. And, uh, and so... We've been talking to him about possibly doing a show um, focusing on that whole issue and the role of the internet. And um, you might want to check out Proposition 35 if you're in California. Um, There's a lot of information on the issue, including survivor videos. Um, But the CASE Act um, is what they're trying to do is um, address uh, the problem they see. Um, for example, the average uh, entry age of American minors into the sex trade is 12 to 14 years old. Many victims are runaways who have already suffered sexual abuse as children. Um, foreign nationals are also brought into the U.S. as slaves for labor or commercial sex through force or fraud. And you know, these are just some of the points that they raise. But it's also come up in the state of Washington. And there you have a lawsuit being filed um, by uh, Backpage in response to a law, a Washington law um, that tries to limit and require that they obtain age verification for any ad, adult-oriented ads, and so that's uh, currently being litigated at the in state in Washington federal court with a federal judge um, granting Backpage's request for an injunction against enforcement of the law. So they have won round one. And, um, but just as this story has been developed, um, a new development has occurred in that there are um, some victims, some, some minors who were um, forced into the sex trafficking trade in Washington state who are suing Backpage and Village Voice Media um, for their role in that. And so, it, this is an issue that there's a, a lot of activists are really trying to bring greater attention to, and uh, which, And is happening both at the ballot box and in the courthouse and so it's it's really going to be something that starts to mushroom I think into a a much larger issue and we're going to hear a lot more about and so our goal is to try to bring you someone from who can address both what's going on in California and then we may do it separately we may do the Washington litigation as well Um, and so yeah, that's something we want to talk to you about a little bit more. Um and then finally we've have um we've been we've reached out to some victims of cyber harassment who have decided to fight back and take action. And and one of them is a model, Courtney Reppert, and uh, she's a victim who actually I'm um, working with another um with a former Miss American candidate. Um have created a website to assist people who are victims of cyber harassment and cyber bullying, and so we we we're, we reached out to her to see whether she might be interested in um, in trying to do the show and just get another perspective, um, what what the impact of cyber harassment is. In addition, um, halt working to halt online abuse. Um, we've had them on the show before. Um, they have their latest statistics on cyber harassment and so it will be interesting to talk about them and what trends are developing. So these are all things that we're going to be following as we move along and uh, I think it's definitely going to be an inter- interesting each one um, so we'll keep you posted and uh, um, let you know and if there's any topics you, th- you think that are not being addressed, um, please let us know. One other topic is in uh, net neutrality, the Um, Cable companies have filed their initial brief in their appeal of the uh, Obama administration's open internet rules, which have created and and codified the previous um, um, net net neutrality principles that were issued under um, Chairman Powell during the Bush administration. And uh, the positions they've taken, and this is interesting, one of which is that they contend they have a First Amendment right to discriminate against content. And censor content. And so I think that could be a good debate to have. And we may have some people who, who actually address that. So um, we're running short on time. So I am going to um, sign off. But first, um, I want to say happy birthday to uh, a number of notable people, including Dustin Hoffman, um, M- 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 Mel Tillis, and um, Connie Francis um, hockey legend and lawyer and member of parliament, Ken Dryden. Um, and the edge turns 50 today. So, um, hopefully he's listening to this and that takes the edge out of turning 50, but something tells me, I don't think so. But any event, um, this is Bennett Kelly. You've been listening to cyber law and business report. Once again, I want to thank Tom McMillan for being a good sport and joining us. Um, I think he gets a gold medal for his participation today. And, um, that's all we have for you. hope you'll join us next week on another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. Check out um, our website, internetlawcenter.net, to get more information about the Internet Law Center and, and um, particularly our newsletter, Cyber Report. And uh, look forward to that continuing this discussion next week. So, court is adjourned. And- At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices.